beloved, you are now tuned in to Three Black Men, a podcast by three black men where we talk about theology, culture, and the world around us. The following content may not be suitable if you ain't real enough. Listener discretion is advised because real recognize real. Here's the hope when we look familiar. seminary like trying to connect deeper with God and I'm feeling further and further away from God right I'm feeling further away um, because I'm like but wait a minute you know I, I these are my experiences and this is how I understand the world and everything that was being taught um, you know from from a normative lens was the opposite of what you know of what I how I was raised or, or, or what I under how I understood the world yeah All right, everyone, you know that we are intentional about the people that we bring on to our podcast. And so that is why it's a pleasure to say that the interview that you are about to hear is with the theologian Kat Armas. And so this interview, we talk about her new book coming out, Abolita Faith, and it is just such a pleasure that we got to talk to her, um, interact with her, hear the wisdom that brought forth this book into being. And it was such an honor to learn um, from her and in uh, all of the nuances and the depth that uh, are contained within her. Um, yeah, within her. And so I first actually heard of Kat through her podcast, uh, The Protagonistas. And I would ask that you would go over there to her podcast, listen to the wonderful conversations and the content that she curates over there. Um, go and support her Patreon. And uh, this wonderful theologian just uh, produces so much um, wonderful content. And so I, ju I just love it. And so be blessed in uh, this conversation. Please go pick up her book and support um, theologians that are out here uh, doing good work. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to Three Black Men Podcast. I am Robert. I'm Trey. Sam. Oh, and I'm Sam. <laughs> we, <gonna get> it. <laughs> we always kill it. Uh, and, uh, and this is uh, season two. And yeah. we're coming back to you. And we have a special guest, our second special guest. Uh, you guys loved Sharifa. And uh, our second uh, special guest, we have Kat Armas. Is that how you yes, say your name? You yes. It. Okay. <laughs> I've been practicing that. <laughs> uh, so Kat, welcome to Three Black Men Podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for the invite. And I look forward to chatting with y'all today. Hey, so. It's going to uh, be so dope. Yeah, I'm excited too. So I want to say a couple of things about Kat. And um, then I want to have her say a few words about herself. Um I'm excited because uh, I first uh, saw Kat around the Twitter streets and um, she was talking sense, <laughs> um, which 
at that time. I love time, it when they talk sense. Yeah, I love it when people talk not sense. Not that common. It is not yeah, that common. Which is not that common, especially <laughs> online. And I was just struck with, especially at that time, I was really deconstructing from a lot of things and especially uh, divesting from a lot of white supremacy. And I was struggling with, um, are there theological voices uh, that are rooted in the faith and that are open about their, you know, people who are open about their struggles. And I remember around the same time, I saw a lot of women being bold about what they were going through. So Kat, Sharifa, and a lot of different voices were like, hey, <laughs> like, here's what it is. And so I just really admire you cat for being open honest and generous those are the three words that i would use to describe you and how you come across on social media but it's consistent and the way that you give of yourself to people and i've never felt um that you were disingenuous in that place and you've uh, just given over yourself over time. And so it's been an honor that you shared the spotlight with, with me and others. And yeah, so I, it's been an honor to get to know you even digitally in that space. Right. So thank you. What a, what a touching introduction. I'm like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> Bye guys. I'm <laughs> oh, thank you so much. That really means a lot. Yeah. I think um, it's, I think as non-white people deconstructing, um, there's a unique space that we inhabit um, that, you know, like I always say that even white progressivism or deconstructing in white spaces doesn't necessarily um, leave room for the way that we experience deconstruction. Um, yeah, in, say that part again. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think like yeah. I've noticed just like a lot of my white friends who have deconstructed, um, they, you know, I mean, Obviously, the, the book that I wrote, Abuelita Faith, um, you know, it's about there's so much that we inherit from the people that come before us, right? Like we are literally here and, you know, getting through this life um, because of our ancestors and because of the strength of those who came before us. And so, yeah, so I love chatting with other folks of color who have deconstructed because I think there's something there um, that we're, we're clinging on to or holding on to a strength that isn't our own. Um, so yeah, so when you talked about, you know, deconstructing and deconstructing out loud, um, I, I, I think of that often of how there's a unique space that we inhabit um, that a lot of white folks may not get <laughs> or, you know, <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, so we're going to get into it. So, so yeah, I love that. And I love that phrase you said, deconstructing out loud. So I'm going to put a pin in that actually yeah. too. I'm like, ooh. <laughs> so, uh, so I'm like, mm. uh, so Kat, uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself and who you are, what you do. Um, you also host a wonderful podcast. So plug that here at the beginning. Um, yeah. And you wrote a book. That's why you're here. So just at least give us the bare bones of who you are. And we're going to get into the book, too. So just who you are, what you do. Yeah. Look, take up space. Yes, take up all <laughs> the space you need. Come on. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so Kat Armis, um, I'm Cuban American from Miami. Uh, and I always, I'm very specific when I say from Miami, because that um, 
had because of that because of my social location growing up there was had a very unique experience um growing up I um you know my family I don't know if you guys have ever been to Miami but it's a very Cuban city a very Latino Latina city um and so for the majority of my upbringing you know I was part of the dominant culture like I would just everybody was Cuban everyone around me's Cuban you know um and so my culture was very um yeah just a, a very strong very um just a huge part of who how I was raised right um and yeah and I was raised Roman Catholic and I didn't sort of um I wasn't introduced to evangelicalism until I was in my 20s um so I was older and I like to say that I had an advantage that I was introduced to evangelicalism particularly white evangelicalism in my 20s um because I stepped in and I quickly was able to step right back out um and it was a very a pretty quick transition I think because um I was an adult you know so there was things that I was able to recognize and see that I think um a lot of younger folks you know may not have that advantage um so yeah, and that happened because I just became, I, you know, enamored with the Bible and enamored with the Jesus story and just sort of enamored with all of that. Um, but uh, what happened was as I got into this, you know, dominant culture's view of Christianity, I started to ultimately um, believe that the faith of my grandmother or the faith of my, you know, this immigrant, she, she was part of obviously an immigrant Cuban community in Miami, a little Roman Catholic church. Um, and that's how I was raised, right? That's what I knew about faith. But also when I step into dominant culture, white evangelicalism, and all of a sudden I'm believing, oh my God, she's not saved, you know, like her faith isn't legitimate. Like, you know, she has an altar in her home and she prays the rosary. So she cannot be, you know, um, so I had a crisis, you know, like just really like, oh my goodness, you know, I remember crying so many tears of desperation over her, my grandmother's salvation when good God, she was like an incredible woman of faith, you know? Um, so that's sort of like the, the journey that, um, led me to write this book. Um, but that's, that happened as I began seminary and that happened, um, as I moved to like the subculture, the subculture of, um, you know, white evangelicalism in Southern Louisiana, um, at a Southern Baptist seminary because I didn't know what Southern Baptist was. <laughs> I always say like, I literally didn't know what denominations were. I just knew Roman Catholics and then Protestants. So I was like, Ooh, New Orleans looks like a cool city to live. And they have a seminary. Let me, let, you know, let me go there. Um, so yeah. And then that, um, that's well, what one I, for two I ain't I, dead. Sorry, say that again. I said one for two ain't dead. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like a good city to live in. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. It was a great city to live in. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And then, so that's sort of when I, you know, began this journey of like, wait a minute. Um, so everything about my upbringing doesn't count um, because it didn't look like the way dominant culture expected it to look in Christian spaces. Um, so yeah, so that's uh, what led me in that. I just got into ministry and then I just fell in love with the academy. Um, I fell in love with theology and I fell in love with, um, you know, biblical studies and biblical exegesis because I just felt like there was so much undiscovered, you know, in the Bible and in just theology in general. Um, and so I just began to write and I began to, you know, just dig into these spaces. Um, and yeah, and then I started a podcast um, because I realized that there were so many podcasts, um, but none by women of color, about women of color. Um, this was a couple, you know, like maybe four years ago or something. Um, so I was like, I'm going to start a little 10 episode mini series, but there's so many freaking amazing women of color doing amazing things. So I just kept going. And here I am like four years later and I'm like, okay, I'm in this now. Um, and, and yeah. And then, like I said, that sort of led the journey to Abuelita Faith and I'll kind of 
stop there so you guys can ask me questions about the book specifically but yeah oh man that's dope i'm captivated um so I, I didn't say this on the front end because this this is about you. Like we try to center you, but you you, you uh, mentioned earlier you're like, oh, I don't know if you've been to Miami. Uh, I, I live in Miami, right? Um, oh, and, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I actually came here uh, for for school, so I came here as uh, to begin my adult life. I've been here my entire adult life. Amazing. And um, yeah, and it's funny because I'll be all the way honest. Like I, I talked with Sam and Rob about this. I had to check a lot of my biases and stuff as I delved into your book because for me it was different leaving well i grew up in, in in richmond virginia right i was born in new york around all black neighborhoods i moved to richmond virginia graduated from a predominantly white school which was new for me and then came to miami as sort of an escape and then quickly found out that it wasn't much like a lot of the same things i was running to escape from were still happening oh, to yeah. me in miami but just in spanish you know oh, yeah. <laughs> so so i found myself having to check a lot of the things um a lot of those, those biases and wrestling with them but then i quickly recognized a lot of similarities in our stories right mm. um like you mentioned coming in contact with uh white evangelicalism and 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 having sort of a crisis as to the faith that had been handed down to you and that's something that even though I, I wasn't raised roman catholic i was raised in a black baptist church but even like my first foray in the seminary just like oh wow was my was the the, the faith that was handed down to me somehow insufficient or or, or something mm. like that um right. so a lot of that I, I i was able to resonate with and then even because um I don't want to make it sound like, oh, like, I hate it down here because that's not the case. One of my um, best friends is a dude named Gabe Lamas, right? He's a Cuban dude, uh, uh, born and raised down here in Miami. And his story and a lot of other uh, white Cuban or white presented Cuban people um, have similar stories, particularly leaving Roman Catholicism and coming into right. evangelicalism. And, and I guess something that I would almost describe as a sort of like pride or arrogance that leads them to disdain that. What I really appreciated was how you were able to redeem aspects of your faith that helped make you who you are, how you didn't feel the need to like whitewash that. And I kind of want to ask yeah. you about um, what that process was like for you, because you, you even alluded to just now, like, oh, coming into as an adult was easy for you to leave back out. What was it like for you or what moments? And I think you talked about it a little bit in your book, Adele, with regards to transferring seminaries, which is another part of the story that we share, because I definitely had a, a similar moment. Yeah, well, but mm -hmm. but what was it like um, making that, that, that step? Like, wait a second, I might have gone a little too far on this path and I need to regain some things. Or, or was that even a, a thought process that you had? And with that, this is the perfect time to take a quick break. Stop, look, and listen, party people. I wanted to, on behalf of the three black men, give you some ways that you can support your favorite three black men. So... Uh, I wanted to say that, number one, you can like, rate, and review our podcast. So all you have to do is go on, especially if you have Apple Podcast, just go ahead in the app, like, rate, and review. Okay? Um, but only if you have something positive to say. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so when you like, rate, and review our podcast, uh, it uh, increases our visibility uh, and it helps us to um, be more credible 
it helps us to uh, gain sponsorships. Uh, so yeah, so like, rate, and review. Number two, share this pod on social media. So especially when we drop trailers, go ahead, retweet that on Twitter. <laughs> and yeah, go ahead and share. And lastly, you can support our Patreon Uh We'll have our Patreon link in uh, the description of our podcast episodes. You can also follow us on Twitter. Um, So, yes. So those are a few ways that you can be um, active in helping to support us. And maybe you personally don't have a lot of money and you want to know what are some ways that I can encourage and amplify these brothers voices so those are ways that you can practically engage with us amplify our voices and uh, the conversations that we are trying to put out there in the world amen and amen yeah um and so i think in the beginning so by the way that's amazing that we have that connection. I had no idea. Um, and yeah. I think, I mean, we could literally sit here and talk for hours about um, racism within the white Cuban community. So yes, um, you know, I I had to, well, that's a whole conversation on its own, but yes. yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but anyways, yeah. So when I got to that first part, you know, that first seminary, I think that moment for me was, um, and actually for me, it really began um, in the sense that I was a woman, right? Um, And I think being a woman and the way that I was raised, I was raised by a single grandmother and a single mother. And I was raised, um, you know, right outside Little Havana and like, you know, just a, a small duplex with my mom and my grandma. And so there was never these cultural, you know, things that were put on me um, that are norms for many in many white spaces, right? Um, Obviously, my grandmother provided for us because she had to, you know, that's what she did. Um, And so there was a lot of these um, things that were just normal for me growing up. And then I get to this, you know, this, this, this other space. And all of a sudden, it's like, well, that's not, you know, what was presented as, um, quote unquote, normal, you know, for the rest of the world was not that, right? So I found myself, I'm here at the seminary, like trying to connect deeper with God, and I'm feeling further and further away from God, right? I'm Mm. feeling further away. um, Because I'm like, but wait a minute, you know, I, I, these are my experiences. And this is how I understand the world and everything that was being taught, um, you know, from from a normative lens was the opposite of what, you know, of what I, how I was raised or, or of what I under, how I understood the world. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think that that was, I started really wrestling with that. Um, obviously culturally as a woman, and then also like, you know, in my culture, like, you know, women are, they're loud and opinionated and they just sort of say how they feel and they're, you know, there's just, you know, and so I, I, in my classes, like I just sort of carry that with me in, in class and in my, and people just didn't like that. They didn't know what to do with me. I was like a deer in headlights, you know, like they were like a deer in headlights when they came in contact with me. Cause I'm just like, yeah. So, you know, and this, you know, so anyway, I think it was just, um, the being a woman, um, was one of those things culture. It was also culturally, obviously, um, but being a woman and then from there, um, yeah, I mean, just again, just the way the cultural values that I come from, um, you know, the faith that I inherited, um, that was birthed from, um, a very intimate immigrant experience, um, that wasn't obviously wasn't normative. Right. So yeah, yeah, that's when things started to 
I actually appreciate this conversation because uh, this you're you're the second guest we've ever had on this podcast. You're the first non-black guest we've ever had on on the Three Black Men true, podcast. True that. And it's true and that. it's it's kind of like a light bulb goes off me when you're describing so many of these things. And even reading the book and, and listening to you talk, like wow, like no, I've I've been there before. When you talk about what it's normative, and then there's also the aspect that I can't relate to of being a woman and all of the things yeah. you have to overcome and be yeah. perceived that way. But but hearing you describe this thing is is uh, this process of of what I honestly feel like is, is dehumanizing when when what is considered normative is so different from you and, and right. that you are so odd like people make you seem uh as some other creature because uh their culture they, they don't even see that they have a culture it's just normal to right, them right. Yeah. and not appreciating those so that, that's dope I really appreciate you sharing that yeah and I think to um added to that and you mentioned it a little bit in your book where um you kind of get a little bit of flack from your own community because of some of your stances, um, oh, yeah. uh, you know, uh, regarding <laughs> anti-black, you know, ideologies or, or other things. And so like, um, I don't know much of Cuban culture. Um, my son is half Puerto Rican. And so I've seen a little bit of that. And I know with them, uh, a lot of it is kind of like black women, where if it's not the racism, it's the sexism. Right, right, and right. so it um is it has it been that way for you like what's been what's been the reception with this book coming out like um wh what's that like yeah how's that been? yeah that um yeah I think that's a that's a good question I think especially as you mentioned um because my views compared to my own community are very different too um mm -hmm. you know as I did the research for this book and I it's funny, I removed a huge chunk of stuff that I had written on Cuban like history and US-Cuban relations um, because of, I mean, again, because you live in Miami, so you know, the political, I mean, there is a very, very intense like political mm. ideology, if you will. Um, you know, and I, and I do acknowledge the Cuban experience as yes, there was trauma involved 100%, um, but, um, you know, the U.S. is an empire and something that I, I don't know if I, I think I wrote this in the book, but like what empires do is that they put you in vulnerable positions and then convince you that only they can save you from their vulnerability. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. Mm. And that's literally Say what the that. U.S. <laughs> that's a bar. Preach you, that. You put that in there and my jaw hit the ground. And because. Say like, that. So when, right. when you started talking about like the, the Cuban community in Miami specifically and the nuances that went there, particularly like. Cubans in Miami are like, as you said, the dominant culture, right? right. And a lot of that was very enlightening for me because I, I know some of the nuances. Like I had a, a Cuban roommate in, in an apartment I stayed in my sophomore year of college. And the first introduction I had to, whoa, it's different down here. Is I had this t-shirt with Jay-Z's face on it, but it had the, uh, you know, the, the Che Guevara revolutionary hat. Mm, it was, oh, it was, it was yeah. yeah. And I wore the t-shirt because <laughs> it was something that my sisters got me because we, we're from New York, Jay-Z. Right, it had right. the New York Yankee logo on it and everything. And my roommate was like, yo, what the, like, he goes, yeah. like, what are you, you doing? And I was here. like, what? yeah. <laughs> and I found out very quickly, like, that's not yeah. it. Um, but the, I appreciate even with that section that you took out on, on Cuban history and everything, it, was, it, it really helped me to read the context that I mm -hmm. live in on a daily mm -hmm. basis a whole lot better. And and um, the traumas and the views that people are carrying by the, the many layers, the the first generation, the, the second right. wave uh, immigrants and everything, all the nuances there, that was very helpful. Yeah, but well, go and, ahead. But go ahead. Oh, with yeah, go ahead. Finish it. Yeah, yeah, go ahead with what you said. Oh, we no. just got hyped. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was super helpful. Thank you. Um, yeah, and I think honestly, I I would even love to keep talking to you more about like your experience as a black man in Miami and all of these things, um, especially when not from there. Um, but 
Um, yeah. And I think um, kind of what I was saying before is like, because my views um, don't necessarily align 100% with the Cuban community, I do receive a lot of flag from them. You know, I had to remove so much because I was like, you know, this isn't a book about politics. Obviously, this isn't a book about, you know, you know, communism versus, you know, whatever. Like, that's not what I'm writing about. Um, and I had gotten into that because I wanted to tease out the nuances. I wanted to tease out um, the history of like why Cuban Americans um, experience the things that they do. You know, a lot of them because they've, you know, it's an enclave. So they don't understand that the way that they're treated compared to so many Latino groups across the world or excuse me, across this, the United States is very different. And I didn't even realize that until I left, you know, I was like, oh, I, I was part of the dominant culture. And then all of a sudden I leave and I'm not white. Like people were literally in a granite. Yes, I have light skin. And, you know, if I'm walking down the street, someone's not going to necessarily know right off the bat I'm Cuban. But if I was, I remember sitting in a circle, you know, with people with a bunch of white women. And I said something like, yeah, because I'm a white, I said something like that. I'm white. And she said, you're not white. You know, and it was very like, it was very obvious for them that like, no, you're not one of us, you know, like you're not, you know, yeah, like you don't, and it wasn't, you know, again, obviously it was well-intentioned. I didn't mean it in a bad way, but that was my, sort of my first like, okay, yeah, I'm definitely not like. And see, that's funny because in my own ignorance, I would, I would have asked had, had they assumed opposite and it been a culture shock for them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, how, yeah. had they not heard you speak and assume like, oh, well, you know, she's one of us. And then all of a sudden, wait, she's not one of us. Yeah. You know, I, but either way, that's yeah. rude. <laughs> I wanted to ask, um, I love this. I, and I, before I ask this question, I love even what you took out. You, you realize that you have all these things, you contain multitudes, right? And you're like, but you wanted to keep this about the, you wanted to keep the main thing about this, um, about your grandmother and the things, the nuances related to um, the theology contained and the relationship contained uh, there with your grandmother, right? And um, maybe you will write a political uh, book. <laughs> Who knows? I, I will definitely get canceled by 90% No, <laughs> no, but I, I, yeah. I, I'll say this before my question. Just make it worth it. But I, I, I will say we, we hold that tension, right? We are three, you know, when we started this podcast, we are three radically different Black men from each other. We hold different political views. I mean, not radically from each other, right. but we are more liberal and less liberal than probably our parents, grandparents. I mean, we don't all hold the same views, right? And so it's hard, even as we write um, uh, things, I almost said some, I almost dropped some tea, Uh, (laughs) as we write stuffies. Um, it's, It's hard because we can't speak for our whole culture. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, we, we are not our representatives, but we we have been traumatized too. So I, I, I realized what right. you're saying. Uh, so the yeah, question- Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was gonna say, it, yeah, I think, um, you know, because of the unique place that we are in, you know, in society right now, you know, um, compared to our grandparents or our elders, um, just we're very different, um, but we're yes. still trying to sort of advocate for yes. them essentially yes um, and for our culture and for our communities but a lot of people in our culture and community like it's so funny i have a friend she's um she's guatemalan she lives in la 
Um, her mom, you know, is an immigrant from Guatemala. Her mom works at um, a laundry, you know, she's sort of like the, the manager at the laundromat and she lives a very humble life in LA, you know, and her daughter, my friend is, um, she's a, sorry, this is me, my the pregnancy brain I forget words she's a, a I want to say I an activist uh, organizer sorry yes. she's an organizer okay um so her like literally her job is to organize for um people groups particularly Latino people groups who um are dealt you know or like put them you know make sure that they, that their jobs and make sure that what they're doing like they're getting the right you know mm -hmm. like they're, they're being treated well yes and her mom literally will tell her like when they close things down for covid right and the narrative is you know black and brown communities like we need to protect black and brown communities and she was like hey like you do protests why don't you go protest and make sure they don't close you know my my laundry mat down and why don't you like make sure you know and so things like that that we were laughing and she's like she disagrees with so much that I do and I'm literally organizing and like I'm an activist for our, her community, you know, for her friends, for uh, our community. And she's just like, no, stop. You don't have to, you know, she'll tell her like, you don't have to do this. I'm fine. I'm fine. You don't have to advocate for me. And it's yeah, really exactly. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of, you know, sort of the tension that I experience with my own family um, where I, you know, I tell them like, if you leave Miami, you are nothing and nobody. And they don't get that. You know what I mean? I'm like, you leave and you're going to be treated like every other Latino group that, or you're, you're going to be treated in a way that you're not used to being treated in Miami. Quick, you are fast. Right. And, Quick, and that's fast. something that they don't understand. And of course, because of, you know, we want to talk about colonization. We want to talk about proximity to whiteness. We want to talk about how Cubans, of course, in their proximity to whiteness and in the power and privilege that they've gained in this city, you know, of course they want to identify and be white, you know, like, it, 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 of course, you know, um, so there's just so much, there's just yeah. so much there. And, you know, writing this book was really hard because I'm trying to, I, you know, understand the trauma, understand, you know, because my, you know, for example, my uncle's story is very traumatic. He was part of the Peter Pan group that, um, you know, literally 10,000 um, six to like 12 year olds were just shipped over to the US and put in foster homes and, you know, yeah. whatever. And so he was part of that group. And so they do have very traumatic stories. Um, but yeah, the experiences in Miami are so muddled with nuance and power and privilege and politics. And like what I said earlier about, um, about empire in the US, you know, um, it, a lot of it when they got here and people will hate me for saying this, but I mean, they bought into a lot of propaganda, you know, and a lot of US propaganda and the yeah. US loved, loved to push the communist card. The US loved that. I mean, that was the narrative. The US was like, this is, remember, this was in, in light of the, the Cold War and communism. I mean, it was just, the perfect perfect storm and Cubans oh were the literal scapegoat like they were literally the scapegoat they and so and, you know i talked about a new segment we're gonna talk about uh what's on the front burner some some things um that that uh we are excited about personally as as individuals and bringing that and sharing that with y'all what's up y'all this your boy sam here to kick off the first uh, rendition of on the front burner <laughs> um so that's easy for me uh, i got on, on the front burner for me i got some rest 
I got some rest, and I know I probably talk about like uh, that a lot on Patreon and on our on a TL. But man, listen, my me and my babies, we've been sick for at just a head cold, passing it back and forth for I feel like probably like the last five or six days. I don't even know what today is, but we've been passing it back and forth, and it's not been fun. <laughs> we tired. Um, the my baby boy Levi, he don't want to sleep in his bed, so he been sleeping in my king size bed, and we look like the letter H every single night, man. <laughs> every single night, man. My king size and turn into a twin on me, but it's all good. Uh, I love my baby, so I just can't wait till we all feel better, so everybody can sleep in their own bed. <laughs> but yeah, man, that's what I got on the front burner. We now have a Patreon, which Patreon. I want to encourage each and every one of y'all to, to visit at uh, patreon.com slash three black men. Uh, think through it, pray through it, ask God uh, <laughs> if, if he would have you partake in this work that we're doing. Because on top of some bonus content here, we have uh, some blog pieces going up. There's going to be some devotional content coming out. And I want to encourage you guys um, to visit that Patreon, patreon.com slash three black men. Go watch and, my um, kids ruin my videos. Go ahead. Watch, watch them. <laughs> them. Them babies ain't ruin nothing, man. As a matter of fact, there's, there's more people going to sign up to, to see them babies. How about that, bro? <laughs>